change around my team, yeah, we off the leash. You could look us in the eyes and see we have peace. Black and gold, that's the colors when we go to war. When we step up on that field, you go hear my roar. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. Yeah, nobody hitting harder. Better keep your guard up, cause with everything we drop, we can score it when we wanna. Welcome to Podskew I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. Mike, football's back. I know we've been saying that for the last couple of weeks, but we are literally recording on Sunday, July the 11th, and yesterday training camps open. I don't know about you, but seeing the videos and the pictures and the tweets and everything from it, it, it just made me happy, like happier than I ever could have possibly anticipated that I would be. I, I tried to, you know inoculate myself from the idea that I missed this last year. And I think as we got closer and closer to the start of camp, I started to realize, no, I really did miss this last year. And now that it's back, it's like, Oh no, this is, this is exactly where we want to be. It's, it's July. Like in a regular year, we'd be talking about actual games, but man, just to be talking about the opening of training camp is, is fun. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the first day of training camp was, uh, yesterday and, um, Basically, all the teams were on the field. I think there might have been a couple that didn't hit the field yesterday in the film room, or, or you know, just getting introdu- introductions to the to the franchise and, and what they're all about and all that good stuff. But yeah, I am pumped to uh, see how this training camp plays out because obviously it's not it's not a normal one, right? Um, I think there's going to be a lot more pressure uh, this year in training camps because you don't have the games to evaluate. You don't have the preseason games to evaluate the talent. So all the evaluations will be done. Um, during drills in training camps. So uh, this one's going to be really important for for all the players that are trying to make this team. Yeah, and rosters are larger. There's 100 players pretty much at each, give or, give or take one, one guy. I think the limit is 100 players regardless of status. Like you, in years past, it was something 70-something guys that were allowed to bring to camp, plus all your draft picks didn't count. Like they were, they were considered non-counters. Um, this year it's 100 guys, and 100 guys at a camp and – you know, 50-something spots, 55 or so spots in total, I think, counting, like, practice squad and all that, doesn't leave for a lot of room, wiggle room. Like, there's going to be some pretty darn good football players that uh, whose dreams end, unfortunately, in a few weeks. But it, it, I, I, like you, I think that it's going to just – the pressure, the, the, the intensity in training camp, I think, is going to be higher across the country than it's been – Maybe ever, because like you said, with no preseason games, the only way to get evaluations on guys is in camp. And I think it could be some uh, some really fun stuff that we see coming out of the teams. Like, obviously, there's not a lot of media presence and no fans in any of the any of the stadiums, as far as I know, for training camp. But uh, I mean, as as things start to open up, maybe that'll change. But uh, it's it's definitely going to be it's definitely a different training camp, like you said, than, than we've seen in years past. Yeah, the intensity, like you said, the intensity is going to go way up and and. You know, players are gonna have to try to get noticed in drills, which is I I've never been to a professional training camp uh, as a player, obviously, but uh, I can imagine that can be tough to do when you're just doing drills all day. So 
yeah, the the uh, I'm sure there might be some you know more scraps this year in training camp because the uh, pressure is so high. But uh, yeah, uh, you know I don't I'm not sure exactly how long the camp is, but uh, uh, I just can't wait to get to that first game. Speaking of getting noticed, Mike, you made a little bit of a stir on social media this past week, sending out a series of tweets bemoaning the existence of the Rouge. You took some heat from, uh, I mean, I saw Calvin McCarty even mm. even responded to you. So, so, so uh, you know, CFL alumnus there. Mike, I just got to ask, why do you hate Canadian football's uniqueness? <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. Listen, I... <laughs> Uh, someone said that actually, like I can't dislike one rule. Uh, I, apparently, I hate the CFL now. But listen, I just well, that's don't. Ridiculous. I don't. That's, uh, yeah, that, that's I, ridiculous. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of the rouge. L- listen, I know every time I say this, people say you don't get it. It's yep. about the returner bringing it out of the end zone. It's not about the missed field goal. I just, I don't like it. I like I've said this over and over again. You don't have to have that point. You don't have to have the rouge for an exciting play like the returner on a missed field goal is more than likely going to get you know if he takes it out of the end zone there's a bunch of fat dudes out there on kickoffs or or on field goals rather you know trying to block the guys and you know it's an easy return for guys like brandon banks or other returners back there and you're still going to have that exciting play they're still going to bring it out of the end zone there's still going to be 120 yard return touchdowns you know it's still going to be there without the silly point and then the, the whole reason i brought it up because the, the, i think it was rouge radio that was posting um videos of the cfl leading up to to the season kicking off and they showed a clip of uh, i think it was the alouettes missing a field goal against the argonauts uh, and chris, chris yep, Rainey yep. caught it at the back of the yep. end zone stepped out game winner missed field goal game winner it's just silly to me and uh yeah, I don't think I'm going to change my stance. So you can call me an idiot all you want. <laughs> Everyone out there, that's fine. But I don't like the rule. You don't think it adds a strategic element to the game? You don't think because, like, do do you give up the point or do you take the field position? You don't think that that's a part of it either? You just uh, you just, just just plain don't like it. That's how, that's how it is, eh? Yeah, I just plain don't like it. I think, I think, I think this league needs to bring in new fans. And I think... People that aren't familiar with the CFL game look at that rule. And, you know, maybe it is, you know, all about bringing the ball to the end zone. And I'm an idiot. And it's not because I'm a field goal. But those casual fans look at that and go, wow, that's stupid. Like, that's one of the reasons why people don't watch the CFL is because they think the rules are quirky and stupid. And and that's near the top of the list. So we got to grow this game. And I think that getting rid of one of the, like, the only stupid rule, I think, in the CFL um, the only one that people look at and go, wow, that's dumb, is the Rouge. So, um, yeah, that's just my opinion. Yeah, I don't – I'm not as vociferously against the Rouge as you are. Um, but I honestly – I don't think it would change the game. It, to me, it's not one of the fundamental aspects that make this – like, yeah, it's quirky and it's weird and it, it, it's what separates Canadian football from American football. But I think 12 men, larger field, the ratio – uh, unlimited backfield motion. Like, I think those things mm-hmm. are more important to maintain that. Like if you were to, if you were to give me a list of like, here's all the differences between the two types of like American football and Canadian football. And you were to, I was, I would put the rouge at like the very bottom. Like it's the, to me the least important. So if they got rid of it, I wouldn't 
be angry about it if they keep it i i don't like it is what it is you know what i mean uh i just it's just one of the rules but yeah i'm not the, the people that are so pro rouge like it just seems it seems like a silly hill to die on when it comes to like potentially tweaking the game it seems to me like this would be sort of the least invasive of all the rules mm. to kind of get rid of yeah it- and, and don't get me wrong, like the, I don't expect him to get rid of it. Uh, I think it's going to be part of the league forever, and that's fine. Like it, it's not going to, you know, it doesn't uh, stop you take from away the from my enjo- yeah. It's not going to take away from my enjoyment of watching the CFL. I just think it's a little silly. So yeah, it's one of those things. You my, my apologies to anyone who I offended, um, but yeah, that's just that's just how I feel. Yeah, it's just one of those things you kind of roll your eyes at when it happens. You're like, oh, this again, yeah. okay. Like, Especially you, you... if it's like a game-winning, you know, yeah. missed field goal. It's it's kind of, eh, I don't I don't like that. Like I I know I know that the talking point is always like, oh, you would hate to, for uh, an intentional rouge to win a Grey Cup. I mm-hmm. mean, I don't think we've ever seen it, but I, I but it's like, oh, if a team won one nothing in the Grey Cup, and it's like, well, I mean, if a team won one nothing in the Grey Cup, it probably wasn't a great game anyway. Especially for like Canadian football, where we're used to like fast paced, high scoring, all that other sorts of stuff. So I think there'd be a lot more things that people would complain about in a one nothing Grey Cup game than oh, it was score oh the, uh, a punt to throw at the back of the end zone won the game. Yeah, that was stupid, but there'd be like a litany of other things that they'd hate too. Mm-hmm. But I think that that's sort of the talking point that everyone that, that kind of against the Rouge. Cause, and I don't think you're alone in this. I think you might be in the minority, but I don't think you're alone. Um, but that, I think that's the one thing where people are like, if that ever happened, it'd be it would make the league look silly. And it's like, yeah, I mean, you're probably right, but the chances of that happening are probably pretty slim. Pretty, yeah, pretty slim. You don't see it very often. So, you know, I said my piece, and I won't harp on it anymore. All right. Well, you weren't the only one to catch uh, some shrapnel this week, Mike. I took not as much heat as you did, quite frankly, but I took a little bit of backlash when uh, I made I made the comment that I didn't think Darian Durant's career warranted. A Hall mm-hmm. of Fame induction, and this came because Rob Vanstone of the Regina Leader Post claimed that Darian Durant should have not just been a Hall of Famer, but should have been a first ballot Hall of Famer. Uh, he said Durant was one of the elite players in the history of the CFL's flagship franchise. I mean, we can discuss that in a, if you want to. Um, eligible for the first time in 2021, the Rough Riders' erstwhile number four should have been an automatic first ballot selection. And my gut reaction, at, like when I when I saw that, was like, Wait, really? And so I decided I'm going to look into this. So we all know Darian Durant came into the CFL in 2006, but didn't start really playing. His first year as a full-time starter was 2009. And he ended his career with 31,740 yards, which is 14th in career passing yards. He finished his career with 164 touchdown passes, which is 16th. But uh, Mike Riley is a few hundred yards away from passing Durant uh, on the passing yards list Bo Levi Mitchell is is not that close but I'm if Bo plays another few years he'll pass Durant as well and both those guys uh, are currently Bo 14 and Riley 17 uh, touchdown passes back so they're likely going to pass him this year too and then I was like I don't want to just be negative about like okay so it's like yeah he's you know he's in the top 15 essentially in in career stuff that's that's pretty good um and they you know Three great cup appearances, one win. He led the league in passing yards in 2010. He led the league in passing touchdowns in 2013. That's kind of his, like, here are the... And obviously the great cup win in Regina makes him a hero there and all that other stuff. But then you kind of look at, at least in my mind, you look at the things that might be demerits against him. You know what I mean? So I was like, the first thing I thought of, was he ever really considered the best at his position? Uh, I mean, he played in an era against Anthony Calvillo, Henry Burris, Ricky Ray to kind of start his career. Then he ended his career going up against guys like Bo and, and Michael Riley. 
And I, I don't think at any point you would ever say in, in, in Durant's career that he was considered the top guy. And I'm not saying that you have to be that to get into the Hall of Fame because I think Kevin Glenn's going to go into the Hall of Fame. And I don't think he was ever considered the top guy at the quarterback position. But Durant also has no MOPs. He was never even a finalist for MOP, so we've never won the West MOP. And he was only the Riders MOP twice over his career, and that was in 2009 and 2010. Um, he's not top 10 in any major statistical category. His career stats are essentially identical, if not in some cases a little bit worse, than Ken Austin, who is not in the Hall of Fame. And another thing, I think longevity in your career, unless you're – like someone like Doug Flutie, who played, and I mean, Doug Flutie played eight years in the CFL. So, and in those eight years, did w- everything a player could do. So, it's not like he had anything left to accomplish. But if you're not sort of that guy who comes up here, dominates for three or four years, and then goes to the NFL, like say Jeff Garcia, for instance, I think Jeff Garcia uh, is is a Hall of Famer. You know what I mean? Like, I I don't I don't think you hold his shorter length of career against him because of what he accomplished in the CFL, but. I just don't think Durant's career was long enough. And he had two injuries in 2014, 2015 that obviously hurt his numbers. But I think longevity matters. I I mentioned Kevin Glenn as a Hall of Famer. And I don't think he would be if his career was the same length as Kevin Durant or Kevin Durant's, Darian Durant's. Um, Because KG's top five in passing yards and all that stuff. And like neither of those guys ever really tried the NFL. So they were CFL lifers. And I think if you're a CFL lifer, especially a quarterback, I feel like ending your career in the top 10 or top five in something is sort of something you need to have on your resume if you're going to be considered a Hall of Famer, and especially if you're going to be considered a first ballot Hall of Famer. So I think Durant like had a good career, but in kind of digging into this, I, I, I just don't think his career screamed Hall of Famer, and I really don't think his career screamed first ballot Hall of Famer. So what do you think? you think he gets in, like... I think he Not might. Yeah. I think he yeah. might because like the, the pull of, of Ryder Nation is, is strong. He has that sort of career highlight of winning a championship in Saskatchewan. Like, but I just don't think like if it was up to me, I think his career is more he was he was maybe the second greatest quarterback in Ryder's history. So he goes on the wall of honor or the plaza of honor, whatever the hell it is mm-hmm. they have in Regina. I don't think I would put him in the Hall of Fame. I think he's he he'd be in the Hall of Very Good to use a tired cliche. I don't think he's he's Hall of Fame. I think he probably does eventually get in. Um, I personally, I don't think I would put him in. You? What do you think? Uh, I'm with you. If it was uh, you know the Mike Graham CFL Hall of Fame, uh, he's not going in mine. Um, I do. I think he will get in eventually. Yeah, I think so. Uh, but to me, he was he was a good quarterback. But he's not Hall of Fame worthy. Um, he had one really outstanding year where he threw for 5,500 yards, yeah. 26 touchdowns, 22 interceptions. And then but he 20, had the but 26, and 26 touchdowns, 22 interceptions isn't great. Like, no, it's not a like good think about what Ticat fans say about Jeremiah Mazzoli when he throws 28 touchdowns and 18 picks. You know what I mean? Like, yep. And it, he had a hard time in Saskatchewan. I mean, there's a lot of negativity towards Danny mm-hmm. Durant when he was there, um, even after he won that great cup. But to me, he had the worst performance of a starting quarterback I've ever seen in yeah. my entire life in with Montreal. the Montreal. Yes, yeah. it was atrocious, Josh. I mean, he couldn't he couldn't complete a pass to save his life. Um, so to me, that that year performance or whatever it is, half a year. I know that he lost the starting job or he got injured or something, but he just looked like I don't know what. It looked like his first year in the CFL. 
and he he was brought in to you know help the Alouettes become a contender again, and he failed miserably. Um, I know one year doesn't make a career, uh, the good or the bad, but uh, if it was up to me, no, he's not a Hall of Famer. All right, so we're in agreement on that one. Let's move on to talking about some Ticats news, and unfortunately what we have to talk about, and seemingly we'll probably be talking about this every week until it's decided, is the quarterback competition between Jeremiah Mazzoli and Dane Evans going on a training camp right now. And the reason we're talking about it is that Orlando Steinhauer on a media conference call said that money will not play a factor in who wins this competition. His quote directly is, "Money, the money is not a factor. That won't play into it at all. It's going to be a competition, and that's just what it's going to be. Um, this is going to be a topic of conversation, like I said, until a starter is named. And quite frankly, knowing how Ticat fans are in regards to Jeremiah Mazzoli, probably long after that, the, as soon as he has a two-interception game, there'll be fans booing and calling for Dane Evans to get into the game. But with Steinhauer making this quote, I, I got to ask, and I'm not calling him a liar because I, I, I don't think that that's what he is. Uh, I think he truly believes this in his mind. But do you believe him when he says that money doesn't matter and won't play a factor in this decision at all? Uh, I think money is a factor in every league, you know, whether it's the NFL. Like, I think in the NFL, if you're a, like a first-round draft pick and you get that big contract, you're going to get the benefit of the doubt. You know, you're, you're going to get that starting job more than likely. It doesn't matter if some guy is making – you know, 350,000 outperforms you in training camp. Uh, you know, there's an investment in that player and, and they're going to get the look. Well, do you um, remember when Bo was going for his NFL opportunities and he went to Minnesota mm, and he said, I'm going to yeah. be here to, to beat out Kirk Cousins? And they were like, whoa, we don't want you to do that. No, 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 yeah, no, no. Yeah, no. <laughs> because they gave Kirk, Kirk Cousins $85 million guaranteed and they didn't want this guy who's going to come in making 400 grand knocking him off the starter's pedestal. So, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah, you're absolutely right. Of course money plays in And plays I heard something back in the day when Casey Printers was in uh, Chiefs camp yep. that he, he was the best like quarterback in that camp or at least good enough to be like a backup and uh, he got cut. So uh, I can't remember where that was from, but I heard it somewhere. I so, think, you know, he, you know where I think it was? Because I remember, uh, I believe the Chiefs were on hard knocks the oh, year yeah, Casey Printers yeah, was. Yeah. And I remember him sitting in, in, sitting down and talking to Whoever the coach for Kansas City was at the time, I don't remember who it was. And I remember him having a conversation like, what can I do to be better? And it was like they had him and they had drafted, and this is – this I cannot believe I remember who this is. Brody Croyle, who was the quarterback of Alabama the year before mm. – a few years before, obviously. But they had drafted him in like the third or fourth round, and it was like, look, we drafted this kid. We were invested in him. Yep. You're you're an undrafted free agent that we brought into camp. Like that's just kind of the way it is. And, yeah, I, 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 I'm – I can't say for certain if that's what it was, but I just remember there being this this video I saw, and I'm pretty sure it was on a hard knocks of of Casey Prentice basically being told like we drafted someone ahead, and you're not a draft pick. We're not as invested in you as we are in him. We want him yep. to win the so, job. You know, and I'm obviously I'm not saying that every CFL player that goes to training camp deserves to be on an NFL team, but there are politics that are involved, of course. right? So, um, but yeah, getting back on track, I think that uh, you know. Yeah, I think he believes that, but uh, in the end, um, you know, I think Jeremiah. I think this is Jeremiah Mazzoli's team, um, and and yeah, like they're gonna they're gonna duel it out, and I think that eventually you know, Mazzoli will come out on top. Yeah, I here's the thing. I don't, I don't not believe that Orlando Steinhauer believes money won't play a factor in his decision, but money is a factor in 
everything. Experience mm. is a factor in everything. Like, you don't – you know what you're getting. Like, you know what you're getting with both guys, but Mazzoli has more experience, and he's being paid more. He's going to get the opportunity – to, to lose the job, essentially. If he's terrible, yes. then obviously... But then you let him go. You know what I mean? Like, I think the the way you, you approach this is think about what would be easier to do. Have Mazzoli, who's a former East Division MLP, who ha- was, was playing some pretty good football when he got hurt, was just starting to really sort of grasp everything in the Tommy Condell offense before he went down. Do you, do you start with him and then bring Evans, who's used to being a backup, who... We, we wouldn't be – if Mazzoli didn't get hurt two years ago, we wouldn't be having this conversation anyway. Um, or how, how difficult would it be if Evan starts and you got to bring Mazzoli in? Like I think if Mazzoli stumbles or gets injured, it's easier to bring Evans onto the field than the yeah. opposite way. And I'm not saying that Mazzoli would pout or cause a problem or anything like that. We know his history. When he was dumped down onto the practice roster and was basically weeks away from being released, he did everything right. So I, I'm not saying that he would be a bad teammate or anything like that. I just think – the money's the factor, the experience, and I just think it's one way versus the other is easier to kind of swallow. I think because I, I think the team, I think the team rallies around both guys, but I think there's something about Jeremiah Mazzoli that that they just, I don't know. There's there's I don't know if it's a confidence or if it's knowing what he went through to become this as good as he's become. If there's just something that 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 the team rallies behind there, I, I'm not entirely sure. I, I just feel like, and this is a gut feeling that that. There's there's just something special about Mazzoli that the rest of the roster kind of sees. Yeah, I think there's a, there's a bit of a loyalty there uh, uh, on yeah, both okay. sides, on both sides because Mazzoli, you know, he had the chance to uh, mm-hmm. leave this team and and maybe get a, some more money somewhere else, uh, and he chose to sign back with the Ticats, knowing that there was going to be this controversy or you know created controversy by outsiders uh, about the starting quarterback position. Um, so I think the Tiger Cats want to win a championship with Jeremiah Mazzoli as the starting quarterback. And don't get me wrong, they, they'd be happy to win a championship with any quarterback. But I think there is a bit, and, and this is very rare in, in pro sports, but I think there's a bit of loyalty there between both sides. Uh, that, that makes a lot of sense, too. Um, the Tiger Cats also signed two players and watched two players retire. They signed Canadian kicker punter Michael, and I'm, I'm hoping I'm not going to screw this up, Sup, Domagala and American defensive end Stacy Keeley. Uh, Domagala was with the Ty Cats in training camp in 2019. Uh, spent four years at Carlton, made 73 of 96 field goals, and also punted, which makes him a rarity in this Ty Cats camp. Where if you look at who they've signed, the kickers, even the Canadian guy Gabriel Ferrero, uh, is strictly a place kicker. Where and they have a a, a global punter. I want to say is I think his name's Joel Whitford. Uh, he's a global punter, and then you have some American kickers as well that are just straight kickers. Whereas this is this is a guy that's that's the first kind of hybrid. We haven't really seen that. And uh, the notable thing about Keeley is he was uh, spent two years in the NFL with the uh, Minnesota Vikings on the practice roster to make room for those guys. Uh, one of the guys that I thought would be on the All Name team, defensive tackle Quindarius the guard who they signed in December of 2019 and obviously never played a game with the team. He announced his retirement, as did offensive lineman Travis Vorncall, who signed with the team just in April. So I guess uh, either there was some issues with getting him up here or he just decided that football wasn't in his future. But those two guys leave. We got two guys coming in. What do you think about some of the, these moves the Ticats have made? I mean, not, not big moves, but another kicker for, for camp, another, another leg for competition makes that a little bit more mm-hmm. interesting too. Yeah, it does. You know, the kicker position is one that uh, 
Podsky Wee will be looking at very closely because we're always interested in that position because it seems to be up for grabs almost every year, like a, like a couple other uh, positions on this team. But yeah, there, we got some names in camp, you know, about four kickers. So they're going to duel it out. And hopefully, you know, there's two nationals, two Americans that I see on the roster here. But you always like to have a national, a kicker if you can, and a, and a national that can do all three. Um, that might be a little bit too much to ask, but uh, yeah, it's going to be an interesting battle, just like a couple other positions on this team. All right, we started last week by doing a positional deep dive on the Thai Cats, and we started with quarterbacks. Obviously, this week we're going to get into the quote unquote skill position players, and we're going to start with running backs. And Mike, before we get into the guys on the roster, now I have a question for you: Can you name me the last Thai Cats running back? to rush for a 1,000 yards in a season. And for a bonus point, can you tell me what year it happened? Well, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. I want to say, ah, I'm going to look like an idiot. Maybe, I, I want to say Cobb? Boom, you got it. DeAndre Cobb, do you know the year? 2012? Close, 2010. 11 oh, okay. years since the Ticats have had a 1,000-yard back. In 2010, wow. Cobb rushed for 1,173 yards. And since then, the Ticats have run through. And I, I dove into the rosters and found, and found the guys. Avon Coburn, Terry Grant, Siobhan Walker, Brandon Rutley, C.J. Gable, Nick, Grig- Nick Grigsby, Moses Madu, Ray Hawley, Michael Ford, Ross Scheuermann, Alex Green, John White, Cameron Marshall, Terrell Sutton, Malik Irons, Jackson Bennett, and Sean Thomas Erlington have all carried the ball as a primary running back for this team since 2010. That is an awful lot of running backs to go through. Now, Coburn almost at 1,000 yards. Uh, and some of these guys didn't didn't play a significant amount of time, but C.J. Gable, for all the time he was here, never eclipsed the thousand yard mark. A lot of names on that list, and it's been I I was when I when I decided I'm, we're going to talk about running backs. I kind of want to dig into what went like the Tigers have always had decent running backs, but when's the last time I, I I couldn't think? And I was like, was it DeAndre Cobb? And it was DeAndre Cobb. So lots of guys on that list, Mike and. Uh, I mean, I don't know this year. You look at the running back position, I'm not sure we're going to see a 1,000-yard back again because I think that the team's going with a couple of guys there, and it's that last name that we talked about or that I brought up, Sean Thomas Erlington, who's the first guy we're going to talk about today. And I thought he looked absolutely fantastic uh, when the 2019 season kicked off. A former eighth-round pick, uh, worked his way up to being the team starter, played in the first four games before being lost for the rest of the season with an injury. He finished 2019 with 224 yards and 33 carries, but also managed to catch 11 passes for a, for, on 11 catches, 193 yards and a touchdown. Now that he's two years removed from his injury, do you think he can pick up where he left off? Because I thought he was poised, and I, you know you can probably go back in the archives and listen to a show from back then. I thought he was poised to potentially be the team's most outstanding Canadian, maybe take the mantle from Andrew Harris as the league's premier Canadian running back. So I got I, I see big things in his future, but uh, what, what do you think? Two years removed from that knee injury, you think he's ready to come back and, and do what he did in 2019? I certainly hope so, because... You know, early on in 2019, this guy looked like a like a star, um, receiving the ball, running the ball to the backfield, and it. You know, he's explosive. He's he's fun to watch. Um, you know, Andrew Harris. You know, he's been a great running back, but he's not the most exciting guy in the world. You know, Sean Th- Thomas Erlington was leaping over people. He was making diving catches, and 
he has speed, and he's not a small guy either. He's, he's 217 pounds. At least that's what he's listed on the website here. Um, listen, yeah, he's had a lot of time to recover. Uh, players these days recover from those injuries a lot better than they used to. So I think he's he's gonna he's gonna you know keep it going. Uh, I think he'll uh, be just as good as he was in 2019. And, you know, there's going to be quite the duo. There's some good running backs on this team, and Sean Thomas Arlington is going to lead the pack, I think. Yeah, the other guy that's kind of in the mix to be the starter is former St. Peter Don Jackson. Um, Jackson initially signed with the Ticats prior to the 2020 season, um, but obviously there was no season in 2020 due to COVID, but he re-upped with the team back in December for the 2021 season. Uh, he's played in 20 games over two seasons with the Stampeders, rushing for 1,170 yards and five touchdowns over those two seasons. The majority of those stats, however, came in the 28 season, 20, uh, 2018 season when he played 13 games and rushed for nearly 1,000 yards, 924, in uh, the, the year that Calgary went on to uh, win the Grey Cup. Uh, we'll get to the other backs in a second, but I want to talk about Jackson and kind of you know, weave it into the Sean Thomas Erlington conversation. I think it's fair to say it's, it's these two guys that are the front runners for the starting job, right? And I have heard that it's possible that Sean Thomas Erlington could be used in a, in a slot role as well. So he could, you know, that we could have Jackson and Sean Thomas Erlington on the field at the same, which I think would be good. But if we're talking about the starting running back, it's these two guys and then kind of everyone else, right? Yeah, I believe so. And I like, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of the rotation of the quarterbacks, the two quarterback system, but I am a fan of the two running back system. I mean, the, the running backs get beat up so badly in games that it's a good thing to have a rotation. And when you have two guys like Don Jackson, you know, he's not a superstar in this league or anything, but we've seen him play. He He's a, he's a good running back. He, uh, I, you know, I don't know his, his, his numbers, but... Uh, uh, I believe he had a good average with Calgary, and he's a solid running back. And I think those two guys together can do some real damage. I think the only question mark is they're both coming off injuries. Now, I know that it was yeah. two years ago, but there's always sort of a concern, especially at running back, because they take, they take a pounding, that uh, these guys might not hold up over a full season. But the good thing is the Ticats do have a lot of running back depth, but you, you kind of want to see one of these guys not necessarily take the ball and just become the guy, but you'd like to see one of these guys sort of stay healthy for a whole season just to see mm -hmm. what they can do, especially in this offense. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you don't want anyone to go down. But, yeah, I, I, I just look at the possibilities between these two guys and that they can rack up a lot of yards on the ground and, and through the air, to be honest. So, um, And then there's another another three running backs on this squad, too, that have had a little bit of experience with the Ticats, guys like uh, Jackson Bennett and Malik Irons. So, um, if there is injuries, you know, I, I, I feel comfortable with those guys coming in as well. Yeah, that's just it. So you mentioned Bennett and Irons. Uh, Irons dressed for 11 games in his rookie season in 2019 and got 50 carries for 208 yards in, in those games. Uh, Bennett has been with the Ticats for two years but was only just recently in 2019 switched from DB to running back. But he got 29 carries for 147 yards and a touchdown, and I believe the touchdown was the game winner on Labor Day that year. So, mm -hmm. like, both these guys, but I think especially Irons, might push for some playing time. Like, Irons comes from not a major college, but he, he had a tremendous career at Ohio University. Uh, I think he honestly, especially considering where they drafted him, second or third round, if I'm not mistaken, I think he has the ability, uh, the ability to one day be a starting running back in this league. And I think Jackson 
he'll get some reps because, like I said, there's kind of a war of attrition with running backs. Um, but he'll most likely be used on special teams where he's tremendous as well. So there is, if they if the team opts to go with Sean Thomas Erlington as the unquestioned starter and use Don Jackson in a, in a limited, more limited role, or even vice versa, there's a lot of Canadian depth in the running back mm-hmm. core, and both these guys are likely to make the team because Irons can can play on the offense and. Jackson, I, I think, barring some something miraculous, he'll be used on special teams, which is an invaluable thing for a depth Canadian as well. So the, the Ticats do have some running back depth just in Canadians, and we haven't even gotten to the, the American guys that, have, that are coming into camp. So it, it is kind of refreshing and, uh, you know, nice, for lack of a better word, to kind of see how much depth the Ticats have at running back going into training camp. Absolutely. And then you got the uh, Wes Hills. Um, he's coming into camp as well, running back at a Delaware, an American. Um, yeah, not much known about him, but he's another camp body that uh, you never know what could happen, right? Yeah, I mean, and he's uh, the, when I was looking him up, uh, he had two touchdowns in a game for the Detroit Lions when in 2019 against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So he's got some NFL experience as well. Um, and the other guy that you didn't mention is uh, Brian Marshall, who or Byron Marshall. I can't remember. If, uh, right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the younger brother of the player who led the Ticats in rushing in 2019, Cam Marshall. He also has oh, some no NFL way. experience. So um, Interesting. I mean, I think these guys are a little bit of long shots to make the active roster, um, considering who's in front of them and draft position and all that other sorts of stuff. But you can't say that Ticats haven't brought in talent to push the guys that we think will get the, 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 the roster spots. Because these guys, if, if they ball out in camp, could... Um, could could make one of these guys one of these more expensive guys one of these draft picks maybe they makes them expendable like I remember 2013 the team signed C J Gable after Siobhan Walker had a kind of a breakout 2012 and I thought well there's no way C and I remember C J Gable from the old NCAA football games playing against USC he was always the Trojans starting running back in like you know 20 I think it was 2010 2011 whenever the whenever I was playing still playing those NCAA football games. Um, and I just, oh, C.J. Gable, C.J. Gable. And then I was like, oh, that's cool that he's coming here. But it's like he's, he's so far behind on the depth chart behind these guys. There's no way he's going to make the team. I mean, see, look at the career C.J. Gable had, not just with the Ticats, but in the CFL in general. And then Siobhan Walker was kind of out of the league two years later. So you never yeah. know who a team could bring in and, and eventually make someone expendable or just show how much they can do and makes them the starter. You're like, it's, we're, we're saying these guys are long shots, but you, we don't know. It, anything could happen. Yep. Yeah, we're not uh... – we're not making the cuts, so yeah, it's uh, you know that's why these guys come to camp, right? They 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 don't come to camp to get cut. They want to show that they're 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 meant to be here. And uh, I mean, it's going to be tough, obviously. There's a lot of you know really good running backs there, but uh, like you said, you never know what's going to happen. Speaking of tough, try being a receiver in camp. That's not an established Oof. name right now. Yeah. This that is that is going to be tough to make the team. <laughs> um, we're going we're gonna to transition now, obviously, from the running backs to the receivers. And I think it's safe, Mike, for us to pencil in Jalen Acklin, Braylon Addison, Brandon Banks, and Defeer Posey as the starting receivers on this football team. I think we get those guys in, in those four spots. And I think they're going to go Canadian. But, if they, I mean, if they go Canadian at running back, they don't have to go Canadian at receivers. So you never really know. Um, but we'll talk about the Canadian receivers in a bit. But I have a question. These four, Acklin, Addison, Banks, Posey, how many crack a thousand yards? I think barring injury, Banks and Addison are absolute locks. Mm-hmm. Do you think Posey and or Acklin can join them? Can we have three or or maybe even four guys top a thousand yards this year? I'm gonna say uh, I'm gonna say three out of the four. Yep. Um, like you know, like you just mentioned, uh, uh, you know, Banks and Addison 
are pretty much shoe ins as yep. long as they don't get injured. They're gonna make the thousand. They're gonna make the plays. They're gonna make catches. They're gonna make big plays. Um, and I think if you slot in Acklin at that slot uh, slot back position, the open one, he's he might make a thousand yards too. Um, so I'm gonna go three out of four. You know, Posey might get close, um, but you know he he's used to playing that wide receiver position where he might not get as much action. But uh, yeah, I could I could totally see three out of four, and you know I could see four out of four too. But but if I had to make a prediction right now, I'd say three. Yeah, if you, if you had to put a bet down, if if, if, yeah. a, if a sports book was taking your money, which very well could happen in the near mm-hmm. future, uh, you'd put down three or four, get get a thousand. Um, how ridiculously loaded is this team when a former Grey Cup MVP is your third potentially fourth option in your receiving core? That. That's that's some good ass talent there, is it not? Oh, tremendous! And and you know we were talking about before we recorded that, you know you mentioned the four starters that we penciled in, but then there's guys like Jalen Martian or Martian, Jalen Marshall. <laughs> <laughs> he's from he's from outer space. Um, even even guys like Cam Phillips, who I believe led the XFL in, in receiving. You know he's got a lot of talent. Marcus Tucker, David Unger. I could go through the list. Um, if anyone goes down, Marcus Davis, you know, there's a lot of talent behind the starters that can come in and, and do a great job as well. Well, that's just it. Let's move to, like, I mean, we can talk about Banks and Addison and all those guys until we're blue in the face. But I, 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 the reason I want to do this, I want to dig into the guys that maybe people don't know. So outside of those four, there will be some other receivers that get kept to play special teams, will land on the practice roster, or could possibly get thrust into a starting role. And you you mentioned two names. There are two names that jumped off the page to me, and they were Jalen Marshall, or a.k.a. Jalen Martian, and uh, Marcus <laughs> Tucker. Uh, Marshall played in eight games in uh, 2019, had eight catches for 139 yards and a, and a rushing touchdown. He's from the football factory known as the Ohio State University, so you know the pedigrees there. And uh, Marcus Tucker had played in 15 games at 38 catches for 474 yards and two touchdowns, including the one that I remember was the bomb from Dane Evans at the game. I'm pretty, you might've even been at in Edmonton when they staked themselves out to that 21, nothing lead in the first quarter off. Just, mm. they just went absolutely ham. And I think Tucker caught like a 60 something yard touchdown in that game. So both those guys we know can play. We've seen them produce at this level. Tucker, obviously a lot more than Marshall. Um, but you got to think those guys then will have a leg up on on some of the other guys that we'll get into in a second. Some of the newbies uh, coming into camp on making this roster. I, I think if I really thought Marcus Tucker was going to get a chance to be a starter, if I think if the team didn't sign Devere Posey, uh, I think Tucker would have been the uh, the fourth American receiver on this team. So to think of what he could do if given an opportunity, I, I'm I'm very bullish on him if he ends up making the team and and you know hopefully get some playing time. But I mean. You don't want to see anyone get hurt, but if you get some playing time, I, th- I think he can make some plays. Yeah, absolutely. The guy's, you know, he's shown it in the past that he can he can be productive in the CFL. So I think the big question is who's going to be in that fifth position, right? There, There is that. Now, the thing is, could it be an American? That's what I keep wondering mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. is you think they got four Canadians on the offensive line. And we'll talk about the offensive line next week. They got Teddy on the defensive line. We'll talk about him next week as well. And then you have... Uh, a delicate in in the secondary. So ne- there's six of your seven Canadian starters. And then you think, well, if they use Sean Thomas Erlington in the backfield, that opens up a spot for an American. And there's a couple of guys, a couple more American receivers that kind of caught my eye that I think 
could push for roster spots. You mentioned Cam Phillips. We talked about him a week ago when he uh, talking about his signing. Was the XFL's leading receiver in 2020. Produced in a CFL-friendly offense run by June Jones, who used to coach the Ticats. I think he could do really well if given if given a chance to, to play. And the other one was Poppy White. He finished his career at Ohio University, the same place as Malik Irons, as the school's all-time leader in receiving yards. He also showed versatility while he was at uh, at Ohio University, running the ball 91 times for 470 yards and six rushing touchdowns while also contributing in the return game. He's not a large player. Uh, he's listed at 5'9", 170 pounds, but he's fast, and we know what fast, versatile guys can do in the Tommy Condell offense. So those are guys that I think, if the Ticats potentially go to five American receivers, it would not shock me if one of these two guys maybe knocked off a, a Tucker or a Marshall to get into the starting lineup because of what they can do, especially White with his versatility. We know how much mm-hmm. the Ticats love versatility in their players. Seeing seeing what he did in the run game as well as in the pass game, I think these, these are two guys to keep an eye on in the next few weeks, see what they do in camp. Yeah, you talk about a guy like Poppy White. He who's, has experience in running the ball and in 2019, they did that a lot with the receivers, mm-hmm. right? You, they'd hand the ball off to Addison quite a bit, um, you know, reverses to Banks and all that good stuff. So he could be, and, and it worked. It worked very well for yep. this offense. So, you know, you never know. He could be a guy that does does a lot of that. For sure. Uh, moving on. Honestly, I think the fifth receiving spot will probably be a Canadian, that's just usually the way this goes, right? You don't you don't spend that wide side, wide receiver spot on an American. You usually use that as one of your token Canadians. Although sometimes, like Mike Jones had that position a couple of years ago and went for nearly 1,000 yards. So you, you never know what guys could produce if given the opportunity. But uh, since the last time we watched the Cats play, they've kind of lost most of their Canadian receiver production. Speaking of Mike Jones, uh, he took his talents to Edmonton, and Brian Jones uh, was released. Uh, I mean, Brian of the Joneses wasn't a major part of the offense, but he could have easily slotted into that wide side receiver role and not had a pass thrown to him. Just, hey, oh, there's a Canadian out there. There's one of our starters. We don't need to use him. He's just there. Um, but instead, the Cats will go into the season, as far as I can tell for, based on what we see at training camp, with three Canadian receivers on the, on the roster who have, and this is incredible, a combined two catches in their career, and all of those belong to David Ungerer. Uh, he was the 11th overall pick in the 2019 draft and dressed for 10 games in 2019, uh, catching two passes for 44 yards. Uh, the other two guys they have, Tyler Tarnowski, who was the team's third-round pick in 2020 after a stellar U-Sports career at Waterloo. He was a three-time OUA first-team All-Star, a two-time U-Sports All-Canadian. He led U-Sports in receiving yards and touchdowns in 2018 and set the OUA record for most receiving seasons in a season, most receiving touchdowns in a season with 14 he broke the record of former Ticats offensive coordinator Stefan Patasic, of all people, uh, oddly enough. And the thirdly is a guy you brought up, and someone I'm kind of interested in is Marcus Davis. Uh, Fourth-round pick in 2018, spent all of 2019 on the practice roster, has never played in a single CFL game, but there's just something about him that I feel like you, you don't hang around with a, with a Canadian player this long without wanting to see what he can do uh, when given an opportunity. I think this group has a ton of potential. I really like Tyler Ternowski. I think uh, being a Hamilton guy, he'll be a fan favorite. But I think the upside for him is is there long term. Um, but there is there is so little experience here that I think it's tough to kind of figure out who will win this job. But I do think it's going to be an interesting one to pay attention to during camp because I'm not sure if any of these guys are really the like special teams type. Um, like I don't, I'm not. I, I mean, I could be wrong. Like none of them are really that big. I think Ternowski's the biggest of the three. Um, 
But, you know, if, if they decide to go with a Canadian receiver in that fifth spot, it's going to be one of these three gentlemen. You don't think uh, Jake Burt uh, factors well, into that? Well, that was all? that's the wild card that I was going to bring up next. The the whole Nikola Kalinic Jake Burt thing that makes it interesting too, right? Because that we let's be honest, we never really see tight ends in the Canadian Football League, so this is kind of uncharted waters. I really didn't know how to cover those guys. Yeah, it's tough to you know decipher what their plans are mm-hmm. for a guy like Jake Burt. Um, and you know that they have plans because he was, he was the first overall pick. So um, I'm excited to see what they they have planned for this guy because uh, I think he could do a tremendous job in the blocking schemes on offense, whether it's screen passes to the wide receiver or screen passes to the running back. Um, I think you could line him up and, you know, with his size, he could just plow over the DBs and, and you know, we love speed on the Hamilton Tiger Cats. We love speed when, uh, you know, June Jones was running the show. He was all about the speed at wide receivers. But over the years, it's been proven you don't necessarily need to have top-level speed to be successful in this league. Um, you know, guys like Andy Fantuz or um, Dave Sapungis or, or, or Ray Elgard or guys like that. You Mike Morielli. Mike Morielli, like not necessarily fast guys, but they have big bodies and can find ways to get open. So, um yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what they do with Jake Burt with that big frame of his. Well, especially because we saw them utilize Nikola Kalinic in uh-huh. the passing game. I don't think he... I mean, he's the most experienced or most productive Canadian pass catcher this team has right now, quite frankly. And he didn't have... I think he had barely over 100 yards in 2019, but uh, he had that touchdown catch against the Argos in week two in the, in the 64-14 blowout. That's obviously, honestly one of my favorite games of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's kind of, you you know what they did with him, and then they get a guy like Burt who had NFL interest because he was with the New England Patriots last year, went to Boston College. Like, that's a that's a pretty big school. And like you said, he's he was the first overall pick. You don't take guys first overall with the expectation that they won't turn into maybe not a superstar, but they, they will turn into someone who contributes tremendously in whatever role they are. You select the linebacker first overall, you expect he's going to be a starter one day. Maybe, you know, tight end in the CFL is not necessarily a starting position, but you got to think that they're going to find a way to use this kid a lot. I just think of what he could do in the red zone, that, that mm-hmm. you know, eight yards and in, like have him just, you know, run a post up on someone and just throw the ball in the air. Like he's, I think he's like six, four, like two sixty. Like that's a, yep. that's a big boy. That's a, that's bigger than even guys like Van Tuz and Ray Elgard and, and some of those quote unquote mm-hmm. slower Canadian receivers. These are, that's a, that's a big boy. And, and what you could, I just think of the things you could do with him. You mentioned the blocking game. I just think of the red zone and just like yeah. toss them up to him. Like, I'm not going to put like, Oh, he could have 10 touchdowns. Cause like, that's, I think, you know, let, let, let's keep expectations realistic, especially for a rookie to the Canadian game. But I just I think what he could what he could add in value is something that no other team really has. Yeah, I totally agree. Maybe uh, his first year he he sits back and he watches a lot. You know, he's on the bench quite a bit. But uh, I think in the future, like once he gets the, a grasp of the of the CFL of the Canadian game, he could be a huge contributor to this team on offense. So. Uh, maybe it's not this year. Maybe a guy like David. I'm gonna I'm gonna say make me throw in David Unger. Maybe he gets that fifth position, a high draft pick. Uh, we know he has some speed to him. So you know sometimes those guys out there they get forgotten about and they can just you know go down the field and they're wide open. So 
uh, maybe a guy like Unger takes that fifth position. Yeah, and I just think with with drafting Burt, they must have really liked what they got out of Kalinich in 2019 to double down on that position. Like, you don't... If a team has... Especially a young guy, like he, Kalinich will be going into like his third year, but second season with the Ticats. Oh, he's their fullback tight end. We don't... You, you, those guys hang around. Like, how long and did Calvin McCarty carve out a role in that sort of fullback tight end H-back position for Edmonton? For Like, he was there, like, seems like forever. So you find a guy like that, you kind of tend to stick with him. And Ticats must have some, and it's Tommy Condell. So you know he's in, you know, the mad scientist is in the lab cooking something up. You know there's going to be some two tight end sets. You know there's going to be times when they split these guys out wide. Like there's 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 going to be some wrinkles that we're not expecting. And, it's, and even more so, opposing teams aren't expecting. Mm-hmm. It makes it kind of exciting to see, instead of what we normally get with the standard CFL offense, we're going to see something different here on, on more than a few occasions. And that, that has me really excited to see what, what, what that could be once we start seeing actual games played. Yeah. It'd be, it's nice to see a little switch up, you know, opposed to the five receiver set every, every down Um, defensive coordinators are going to be on their toes with, uh, with these two big bodies, you know, and and what they're going to do with them. And especially how are teams going to game plan for this? They don't know other teams really have these guys on their roster. Like there's there's not another Jake Burt on another roster in the CFL, so it's not something you're going to be able to mimic in practice. So that adds another wrinkle to it. There, the Ticats are already a step ahead of the game. It it, it just makes it very interesting for me. Um, moving on though, we got to talk about CFL stuff, and we're going to move on to what happened in Saskatchewan this past week, where four Rider players went down in what we're told is a span of about six or seven minutes all with Achilles injuries. Larry Dean, Freddie Bishop, Nelson Lacombo, and Jonathan Femi Cole all got hurt and hurt their Achilles on the same drill they were running at Mosaic Stadium. I don't want to speak on these injuries specifically, but I think I speak for both of us when I say we wish all of them a speedy and full recovery. Um, But what do you think? Is this the start of seeing players go down after a year off, or is this just a freak occurrence? Because we also saw two guys in Montreal get hurt and, and hurt their Achilles as well. So six players in total over the span of like 24 hours. It was it was shocking to see, to say the least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you never want to see that kind of stuff. Uh, I'm hoping that it's not like, you know, a thing across the whole league. It's, you know, you never want to see anyone get injured. And I don't want to see our Tiger Cat players get injured. And, you know, you look at some of those names and those are, you know, those are big blows to the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, especially a guy like Larry Dean, who we know is a tremendous linebacker. Was going to be their uh, starter. Freddie Bishop was going to be the starter. Nelson Lacombo was a second overall yeah. pick in the draft. That's like that was three a out of the team. four guys were going to be starters on yep. that team, and and there's some there's some questions to be answered about what was going on there. I mean, uh, the CFLPA was seemed pretty pissed about they this. They are and, super uh, pissed. Yeah, so. I don't know what they were doing in Saskatchewan. I don't know the details if if they were breaking rules or, or whatever, but uh, it doesn't look good on them. No, but do you think that this is? Do you think do you think we're going to see guys? Get, I'm not necessarily saying Achilles injury, but do you think we're going to see more guys get hurt because of the year off? It's bound to happen, right? I mean, as much as players try to stay in shape, it's not the same as actually getting on the field and being in football shape. You know, can lift and you can run and all that good stuff, but. When it comes down to it, you know, being off for two years isn't going to help anybody. Um, so I think there will be more in your injuries, but uh, I don't, I don't think it's going to be like a crazy amount. You know, um, we saw this this four or or, uh, or six on the first day, and that's terribly unfortunate. But 
I don't think it's going to be wide set um, cases like that. Uh, I think that play our teams are going to look at this and be like, okay, maybe we should, you know, ease ourselves into it. But then you think about it and like, is there enough time to ease into it? You know, they got to start evaluating like right off the bat, but overall, I think, I think they'll be okay. All right. Normally I don't like to end the show on a negative, but I saved this for last for a reason. And that is the big news coming out of the league this week was that the deal with the XFL is dead. The CFL announced on Wednesday that they and the XFL had, and this is a direct quote, jointly decided not to pursue any formal arrangements at this time, which put to an end about four months of speculation that the two leagues were headed towards a merger. That was the big talking point that had kind of, you know, engulfed all of CFL fandom over the last four months was that what's going to happen with the CFL? What are they going to do with the XFL? Are we merging? Are are we changing? And it was all speculation. And now we know the deal is done. There's going to be no formal arrangements between the CFL and the XFL. I, at first, I wasn't against this XFL merger. Um, or the, I mean, I was probably against the merger, but I wasn't against them exploring anything. If, If this is what the CFL needed to stay alive, I was okay with that. Um, but clearly that's not the case. Uh, but Mike, uh, we both have, I think, a lot to get off our chest when it comes to this. You and I jointly agreed that we were not going to talk about the XFL on the show anymore after we did it uh, probably about a month and a half ago. Said so this is the last we're talking about it until we get some some concrete thing, whether there, something's going to happen or something's not going to happen. We're done talking about the XFL. We were both tired of it. But now we had something actually happen, and it's the end of, of us talking about the XFL. So this is going to be the last, un- unless something else happens where it comes up again. This is going to be the last that we're going to talk about the XFL. So I know you want to say some stuff. I know I want to say some stuff. So I'm going to, I'm going to cede the floor to you, Mike. What do you have to say about all this XFL, CFL stuff now that it's officially dead? Well, you know, I, I was the same as you. If, if the CFL needed to get in bed with the XFL to survive, then so be it. Um, uh, but I, overall, I'm glad that it's over with. I'm glad we can just focus on the CFL season coming up and future seasons and have our Canadian rules. Like, I didn't want um, a hybrid game, four downs and smaller field and all that stuff because, you know, we'd be bowing down to the Americans For sure. on that. There's no way in hell that they were going to accept the three down big field. And, and the optics, were they would never work. I mean, you couldn't squeeze a CFL field into American stadiums. But anyways, I'm getting off track a little bit i'm happy it's over um the only thing is like you're never in, with the nine team cfl you're never gonna get a video game you're you're never gonna seem like a big league you know people aren't gonna take you seriously because it's just a nine team uh canadian league where six teams make the playoffs you're never gonna get that growth it's just gonna be stagnant um like it's been for the last 40 50 years Player salaries haven't gone up, really. Attendance is down, basically. Um, we have a TV contract, but it's nothing. There's only $50 million a year, which is nothing. Um, we're just going to have the normal CFL, nine-team, maybe eight-team. You know, maybe a team goes away. Maybe you're never going to have expansion in the CFL. Stop talking about expansion in Canada. No city's going to build a football stadium ever. So it's just not a money-making uh leagues so there's there's never we're never going to grow it's just going to be nine teams and i'm fine with that 
I'm okay, because I was going to ask, are you okay? Like, does that bother you? Because, like, some people, that, bo- that bothers some people, the idea that the well, CFL is just going to be what the CFL is. Whereas, no, it, to it, me, it's like, I'll, no, I'll let you go. This is this year. Okay, this is your, it, it doesn't, it, the 19 thing doesn't bother me. It's just the, there's, no gonna, there's never going to be any growth. Mm-hmm. The, the salaries are never going to go up. That's what bothers me more is that okay. these players are going to keep coming up here and it's going to be the same salaries for you know what we've had for 50 years like there's never going to be any growth and that's i'm okay with the nine team cfl i've i've supported it my whole life it's my favorite sport i love it um but i just like to see i'd like to see a video game i'd like to see players get paid more i'd like to see all that stuff and i don't see it happening within canada that's all but overall i'm glad it's over i'm glad we're not talking about the xfl anymore and uh we can focus on football. That That's my piece. All right. Um, I have a lot more to get off my chest about this whole thing. Um, I think some of this uh, last four months has been a bad look for the league. I think it's been a bad look for some of the people who cover this league. Um, I've avoided naming names in the past because I wanted to play nice. Uh, I didn't want to ruffle any feathers. But some of the things that I've had said to me and some of the things that I've had said to people that I work with, uh, people that I'm close with because of all this, uh, means that I'm kind of done playing nice with, with, with some of these people. I'm, I'm obviously everyone I'm talking about here didn't, wasn't in on this, but there was, there was quite a bit that I endured over the last four months that I, I internalized. Um, some of the stuff I say might even get heat from my bosses at three down, but I don't care. I'm, I'm a fan, man. I'm a fan just like you. I'm a fan like everyone else who listens to this. And as a fan, this whole thing pissed me off. Um, firstly, to all the XFL fans who spent the last third of the year yelling at me and telling me the only way the CFL will survive is with a merger with the XFL, uh, I wait your apology because the deal is dead and you Johnny-come-latelys who acted like you knew the CFL uh, now get to eat that crow that the XFL was not the golden ticket that saved the CFL. Um, you guys didn't know the CFL. You still don't know the CFL. And watching you all act like experts on a league that you didn't care about six months ago kind of made my blood boil. Um, I didn't say any, I, I, I went back at some of the guys and then after a while I just said to hell with it. It's not worth my time. But there were a lot of people who probably couldn't pick out Saskatchewan or Regina on a map and were telling me that they were the only team that made any money and that the league is dead and that if they don't sign up with the XFL, you're not going to have a league to watch in a few years. Um, to the guys on that XFL podcast that whenever I would dare to question the greatness of the XFL, a league, I might add, that has folded twice. Uh, I hope you enjoyed your 15 minutes of Canadian fame because it's over. Uh, I know guys like Dave Naylor and Farhan Lalji, and I'll get to those two guys in a second, will probably still give you the attention you crave, but no one else will care. I don't wish you any ill will. I hope you continue doing your podcast and have fun with it because that's what podcasting should be about. But I hope to never see any of your names in my mentions ever again. Um, It was exhausting dealing with you guys when instead of listening to people that actually know what they're talking about, and I'm not saying that I know everything. I'm not saying Mike knows everything. But guys like Mike and myself who have followed this league for 30-plus years, um, guys at 3Down, guys that know this league, fans that know this league that were telling you, hey, you don't know what you're talking about. You should have listened to them. Instead, you wanted to put your opinion out there as fact and you just you had this circle jerk essentially where you just regurgitated information that you heard from one or two people but you you don't know this league and to have to deal with people who don't know what they're talking about thinking they know what they're talking about 
it, it was too much sometimes. Um, now on to the guys at TSN. Dave Naylor has carried the water for this thing the entire time and, in my opinion, has lost a tremendous amount of credibility in the process. Uh, tweet after tweet that I saw about how the CFL is broken and the only way out is attaching themselves to the rock uh, really hurts anything you say in the future, pal. Um, maybe Dave just really wanted to get an interview with the rock. I don't know, but this collapsing, uh, the way it did kind of made him look foolish. And in my opinion, as the mouthpiece for this entire thing, he kind of needs to wear the goat horns on this and wear them for a long time. I think maybe he's hoping that with the season starting up that people will forget. But if we know one thing about CFL fans, Mike, they have long memories. And I think for some of us, myself included, it will be a long time before some of us will ever be able to look beyond what Dave Naylor said and did over the last four months. Farhan Lalji wasn't much better either. Whenever anyone ever disagreed with one of his tweets, and Danny Austin at Post Media out in Calgary is one of the few guys, and shout out to Danny for this, because he was one of the few guys who in Canada was not willing to kind of swallow the XFL whole and, and get on board with this. Uh, Farhan got defensive and made some of the same ridiculous claims that Dave Naylor did, uh, unsubstantiated claims. Um, yeah, maybe he heard, I, I know these guys have sources and all that sort of stuff, but I mean, the CFL is still here. CFL, I think will be here for a long time. I, obviously there needs to be changes with the way the league operates, but this is not the XFL being the losing this deal, being told for months that this was the death knell. If, if this doesn't happen, the league's going away. That's obviously not the case. Um, I won't say that these guys were doing it at the behest of TSN, but I will say that whenever someone from Sportsnet trashes the CFL, CFL fans are really quick to say that, oh, it's their bosses at Sportsnet that are telling them to do this. I think it's fair that Dave and, and Farhan should receive the same sort of scrutiny. And TSN, the, the people at TSN have done nothing but carry the water for this thing since day one. Uh, they acted as the league's PR arm, and I think it exposed a lot of the problems that people like myself have with the cozy relationships that TSN and the CFL have. I'm, I'm happy TSN exists and gives the CFL money. If that wasn't the case, the CFL is probably not here. But when leagues and sports networks partner up like this, you don't get unbiased opinion. You get what the league wants. We see it in the, in the, with the NFL and ESPN. How often does ESPN cover up some things that happen in the NFL or don't cover them as vociferously as they should? And, the NFL has their own media wing. They have NFL Network that does the same sort of things, and you don't hear about all the negative stuff on there either. But it's if you want unbiased, and, and maybe unbiased, because no one's entirely unbiased, there's other places to go. And I'm not just saying three down. There's there's other people out there, young young guys and gals out there that are doing podcasts, doing blogs. They'll give you more nuanced, maybe less public relations type information if you're if you're – just looking for news, I mean, Three Downs got news. CFL, you can go to the CFL website itself. TSN does a decent job with news, but on this, it's it's made me really question whether TSN is a a independent entity or if because they have the relationship with the CFL, if they're just going to be their PR arm. And lastly, this one is for Marshall Ferguson. Next time you want to call out Three Down for the job we do, buddy, have the courage to call us out by name. If you want to call us, come at us, come at us. Just do it. Don't subtweet us. Don't make vague accusations. Come at us with everything you got. I'm ready for it. I'll, I'll, I'll go back and forth with you all day you want, buddy. You said, and I quote, might be a good time to assess who leveraged your fears as a CFL fan for clicks for months, educational. Most people responded to you by saying it was TSN. And it was TSN. It was Dave Naylor saying the CFL is dead without the XFL. Yeah, maybe three down did, did, did some stuff that was, I, I don't necessarily agree with. I don't agree with everything we publish. Um, but when people said that to you, you dismissively replied to them, nah, nah, it wasn't them, buddy. Yeah, it was. 
I don't know what you call fear-mongering, but was it three down that told people time and time again that the XFL partnership was the only way the CFL could survive? Nope. In fact, we did the exact opposite. We had countless articles on how the CFL needs to change things for sure, that the XFL was never, ever the golden ticket to fixing what was wrong with the CFL. For crying out loud, we had an article up the day the news broke with the title, the XFL was never the answer to the CFL's problems. I don't know about you. I don't know about you listeners out there. I don't know about you, Marsh, but that does not sound like leveraging fear for clicks to me. Was it three down employees who would hop on any XFL podcast to pander to their dozen and a half fans of that league? As far as I know, no one affiliated with, with three down ever went on an XFL show to talk about this. But you know who did go on those shows multiple times? Dave Naylor, Farhan Logi of TSN. Was it someone from Three Down that in the aftermath of this collapse saying MLSE might take the Argos to the XFL? Like you want to talk about fear mongering, tell CFL fans that you're going to lose the biggest market in the country because the owners of that team are going to move. And complete speculation, by the way, the, th- the same things that, that people rallied against Three Down for when we said Johnny Manziel was worked out for Chris Jones, when I've heard countless times that it was only us that ever reported that teams didn't want to play in 2021. It was speculation. Yeah, maybe there was nothing behind it. I don't know. I wasn't the one who wrote those articles. I'm not the one who made those decisions. But where's, where's the, where's the uh, evidence that the Argos and MLSC are going to pull the Argos out of the CFL and go towards the XFL? Did that come from us? Nope. It came from the Twitter account of one David William Naylor, who works for TSN. So, Marsh, maybe in your mind, three down is to blame for spreading this, but I think no one, and I do mean no one, has done more to rebuke the idea that the CFL needed the XFL more than three down nation. If that doesn't square with what you think, I don't really care. But hey, maybe we are the bad guys. And if we are, that's cool with me. I've always preferred being the heel anyway. Look at Mike and I call ourselves the Heat Foundation for a reason. We love heat. I'll take all the heat any day. Come at me. I don't care. I'll bat you back. But the truth is the truth. And the truth is the CFL never needed the XFL. And now that this deal is dead, we, Mike, myself, this show, CFL fans around the country can go back to giving the, ex- the XFL the exact same amount of attention we gave it before. None. That was Podsky Weaver for this week. I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. Eat them raw. Eat them raw.